This is case three from the Shoyoroku. The introduction. The state before the beginning of time. A turtle heads for the fire. The one phrase specially transmitted outside of doctrine. The lip of a mortar bears flowers. Now tell me, is there any accepting and upholding reading and reciting in this, the main case. A Raja of an East Indian country invited the 27th Buddhist master, Prajnatala, to a feast. The Raja asked, why don't you read scriptures? Prajnatala said, this poor wayfarer doesn't dwell in the realms of body when breathing in. It doesn't get involved in the myriad circumstances when breathing out. I always reiterate such scriptures, hundreds, thousands, millions of scrolls. The verse, a cloud rhino gazes at the moon, its light engulfing radiance. A wood horse romps in spring, swift and unbridled. Under the eyebrows, a pair of cold blue eyes. How can reading scripture reach the piercing of ox hide? A clear mind produces vast eons. Heroic power smashes the double enclosure. In the subtle round mouth of the pivot turns the spiritual works. Hanshan forgot the road by which he came. Shida led him back by the hand. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all of us. So today is meant to be a day of raising appreciation for our mothers and for all the women in our lives in gratitude for the nurturing energies they exude and share with us. In raising such appreciation, we can also turn our attention to the nurturing energies within each of us and maybe become more intimately connected with this embracing and healing aspects of our being. Beyond the female aspect, the word mother is also associated with a source, a wellspring, and a sense of continuation. And so to tie it all together, I thought it would be good to bring up this koan about Prajnatala today. So as many of you know, Zen originated in China during the 5th century, based on the teachings of Bodhidharma, who is considered the founder of our tradition. Bodhidharma was the 28th teacher in direct succession from the Buddha, and he traveled from India to China to propagate the teachings there. His teacher in India was Prajnatara, who for many centuries was assumed to be a male due to linguistic errors of historical information or because the patriarchal societies of the time which were not willing to accept the possibility that it can be otherwise, that it actually can be a female. But as it turns out, these days, many scholars and historians agree that Prajnatala was actually a female teacher. And since she gave Dharma transmission to Bodhidharma, she can be seen as the motherly figure that sits at the foundation of our Zen tradition. And the father figure actually may be Taoism, which greatly influenced the development of Zen. But perhaps that's a topic for another Teisho. The dialogue brought up in this koan took place in India which at that time was divided to many kingdoms. The king of this particular Eastern kingdom was a devout Buddhist practitioner who occasionally would invite Prajnatala for a big feast to show his gratitude and respect. And it was customary at the time for the guest priest to offer readings of sacred texts. But Prajnatala did not do that. And so the king asked, why aren't you reciting any sutras at this special occasion? And Prajnatara said, 
This poor wayfarer doesn't dwell in the realms of body when breathing in and doesn't get involved in myriad circumstances when breathing out. I always reiterate such scriptures, hundreds, thousands, millions of scrolls. So a sutra is a sacred scripture that echoes the truth. And so the act of reciting or chanting it is both the teaching of the truth and the embodiment of it. And as you remember, last Sunday we went over the Sandukai, which is in our sutra book. And then after shedding some light on the history and meaning of the text, maybe we feel a little bit better about how we understand the truth it's pointing at. Or we have a little bit more context. But the question is, that does the intellectual explanation help us chant more intimately? Or does it create a conceptual barrier which prevents us from fully experiencing the truth it is pointing at? In the foreword to the Hegegan Loku, the Blukliffrog uh, tradition, part of our tradition, Maizumi Roshi wrote, there are numerous ways to read a book. Scheming, memorizing, careful study, quiet study, quiet reading, reading aloud, reading with the body, reading with the mind, and reality reading. It is with this last kind of reading which the blue cliff record needs to be read. In this mode, you yourself becomes the case, and in so doing, the blue cliff of ancient China stands revealed as your very life right here in this time, in this place. So whether it's reading a koan, chanting a sutra, this reality reading is actually the key to unlocking the gate that separates us from engaging reality in the most raw and full way. And reality reading can also be understood as reality doing. And so if we practice that, if we practice what we go through everyday life, it can make the difference between living and being alive. What's the difference? Living is taking care of business, paying the bills, cooking meals, raising a family, and just getting through the challenges of our everyday lives. Being alive, on the other hand, means to be fully engaged with each moment without allowing the slightest gap for any judgment, worry, or any other internal narration to enter. It means taking huge gulps of life using all the senses all at once and the entire body as a whole. It means being here. It means going nowhere. Actually, it means never, ever living. And maybe today, more than ever, we need to meet the richness of life with all our might and fully engage with each passing moment as if it's the only moment we will ever have. This is a challenging time for human beings all over the world. And there's a great deal of distress and suffering caused by the predicament we're in and the uncertainty it imposes on us. We don't know how many more people will get sick or die from this virus. We don't know how we or our loved ones will fare if we get infected. And we also don't know what will be the financial ramifications of, of all this on a personal level or on a global scale. In all of this, uncertainty triggers feelings of worries, some level of distress, some numbness to a certain degree. Even if we may not be aware of it or may not be willing to admit it. And even if we find this time as fruitful, even if we happen to be enjoying spending time with our loved ones, with our families, there are many who don't feel this way. So we don't want to bubble up. We want to take it all in. As Vimalakirti said, I am sick because everybody else is sick. 
And it's actually very easy to bubble up these days in our own little cocoons and create something out of it and find shelter in that. But it doesn't quite work this way. When others, when other people suffer, we suffer as well. And often, I don't think we are willing to admit that. So these are maybe all natural automatic responses. But what if we open up to the possibility of replacing worry with trust? Can we do that? But instead of trusting that it will be okay, or that things will be okay, how about trusting that this is okay? How about replacing numbness with curiosity? How about coming back? over and over and over again. So a time like this, it may, not be, it may not seem to be a possibility for us, or even logical. But what if this assumption is based on our grasping mind that seeks for security and stability in external conditions that by their nature are unstable? What if that's a layer we can shed. So Palajnatala addressed the king by referring to herself as this poor wayfarer. What does it mean to be poor in terms of spiritual practice? The word may invoke negative connotations for us, but in terms of practice, it alludes to freedom. In the commentary to this koan, Shishin Roshi said, to be poor is to have nothing and to hold on to nothing. Being poor in that way gives us the richness of not being constrained by external conditions. In the period between the moment of birth and the moment of death, this poor traveler, each of us, becomes vested in the body, which is the vehicle, and in what we encounter along the journey, which is the myriad circumstances. Being deeply vested, we become constrained by external conditions and are unable to experience the richness of the journey. This is the disease. And Palaj Natala has the medicine. This poor wafer doesn't dwell in realms of body when breathing in. That's one release and doesn't get involved in myriad circumstances that we're breathing out. That's the second release. Releasing of the body, of attachment to the body and releasing attachment to myriad circumstances. In other words, to what happens on the journey. Then she said, I always reiterate such scriptures. I am the embodiment of the scriptures. When breathing in, I verify the truth. When breathing out, I manifest it freely. Doing so, all the sutras, koans, commentaries come to life and are expressed authentically. Otherwise, any Dharma text or any wisdom teachings remains locked and any formal Zen practice becomes meaningless. Bodhidharma later on echoed the words of his teacher, and he said, if you don't see your nature, reciting sutras, making offerings, and keeping precepts are all useless. It's a very important point for us to remember, that it's not what we do, it's how we do this. What kind of effort, what kind of heart, what kind of mind do we bring to what we do? So the dialogue in this koan took place in India before the inception of the Zen tradition. And there's a similar story which happened about 500 years later in China. And it captures the same point, but it's doing so in the Zen style. Emperor Zhuangzong of the Tang Dynasty invited Zen master Zhu Jing 
and his disciples for a feast at the palace. At that time, there were other Buddhist teachers and practitioners sitting there engaged in reading sutras. Only Zhujing and his disciples were sitting there in silence. So the emperor asked him, Why are you not reading sutras? Zhujing said, Where the way is easy, we don't pass along the imperial command. During serene times, we stop singing the songs of great peace. In other words, when you see the moon, you can forget the finger. When you cross the river, you can forget the raft. When you catch the fish, you can forget the net. So the emperor said, it may be okay for you to not read sutras, but why, why don't your disciples read them? Zhujing said, in lion's den, there are no other kinds of animals. Where the elephant walks, there are no fox tracks. The emperor then asked, why do all these other great teachers and worthies read them then? Yujing said, jellyfish have no eyes. In seeking food, they must rely on prawns. Now you can see the difference in the style as it developed later on. Jellyfish like to eat prawns, apparently, but since they have no eyes and they are not great swimmers, they are dependent on the movement of the prawns. And this analogy is telling us that as long as we are blind to our true nature, we must rely on written words and we become dependent on that which can only point to the source. When we don't trust our own legs, we may feel the need to use crutches and become dependent on them. Relying on the assumption that my legs don't work, that I don't have it, I am not there, I am not it. That's the underlying assumption. And it may be important to, to note that Zen doesn't reject the study and chanting of sutras or related texts and commentaries. On the contrary, we consider these aspects as an in integrated part of our training and practice. We do, however, need to understand how we engage with words so we don't get trapped by them. In the commentary, it says, good words are to be treasured. But in the final analysis, they tend towards feelings and thoughts based on literary contents. And that's what they evoke in us. Actually, that's what traps us. The verse says, A cloud rhino gazes at the moon, its light engulfing radiance. A wood horse romps in spring, swift and unbridled. So the Chinese, this is based on Chinese legend of a mystical rhinoceros gazing at the moon, which is covered with clouds. And it can be seen as a depiction of mystical realism or unhindered communication with the souls, while being rooted in the ground of reality. And this is referring to not dwelling in the realms of body when breathing in, as in the words of Prajnatara. The wooden horse is hopping freely and unrestrained, emitting the great light with every action. And this is referring to not getting involved in the myriad circumstances when breathing out. And it is said that skillful action has no tracks. Wood is just wood. It has no place to retain memories, recollections. It is not vested in anything or grasping onto anything. It just is. Under the eyebrows, a pair of cold blue eyes. How can reading scriptures reach the piercing of oxide? So the cold blue eyes are not getting caught up in intellectual, emotional interpretations. And seeing through the written word, they gaze directly at reality. Yakusan once spoke with his disciples about reading scriptures 
And he said, if you monks are to read sutras or scriptures, the light of your eyes must penetrate to the back of the page. And that is referring to the way we need to not just see, but hear as well, to penetrate directly to the source. A clear mind produces vast eons. Heroic power smashes the double enclosures. Now, this is referring to Plajnatala's unobstructed mind and great spiritual power. And for her, the entire world is always expressing the most profound teaching. In the commentary, Master Lumen says, The whole world is a student's volume of scriptures. The whole world is a student's eye. With this eye, read this scripture for countless eons without interruption. And of course, it's not just referring to a scripture. Anything our eyes lay on is it. Anything is teaching. Anything we hear is teaching. Everything that happens echoes one truth. Not to the interpretations that arise, but the cold blue eyes penetrate through our own interpretations. In the subtle round mouth of the pivot turns the spiritual works. So the Buddha said, this one here is a stock axle wheel, referring to himself, referring to each of us. And this is a realization we all have to come to at some point. We, this one here, is stuck. So we need to grease up the center of the wheel so it starts to move. We need to get unstuck and turn the Dharma wheel so healing manifests throughout space and time as we chant. Flowing water does not become stale. Stagnant water starts to smell very quickly. Hanshan forgot the road by which he came. Shida led him back by the hand. So Hanshan is a representation of Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom, who is often depicted riding on a lion while holding the sword of wisdom in his hand. In his hand. And Shida is a representation of Samanta Bhadra, the Bodhisattva of compassion, who is often depicted riding an elephant with six tasks, the six, as the six paramitas, the six perfections. So on a typical altar in a zendo, there are three statues, the Buddha in the center, Manjushri to the right, and Samantha Bhadra to the left. And the image of the Buddha contains both aspects, wisdom and compassion, which are at the heart of awakening and compassionate action. And these two aspects are essentially non-dual, as in there is no wisdom without compassion, and there's no compassion without wisdom. So Hanshan forgot the way by which he came, he is likened to our own spiritual journey as we forget all parameters of who we are, or we think we are, let go of points of reference or coordinates, and get lost in the bliss of realizing the wisdom of unity or the bliss of becoming an idiot. And then, Shida leads him back by the hand and this is likened to the necessary return to the blissful mess of our extraordinary, ordinary lives. This return is wisdom giving birth to compassion and it manifests through the embodiment of the six paramitas, loving-kindness and the authentic expression of sila, morality. So compassionate action born out of realizing wisdom has a strong maternal essence. It's expressed as unconditional acceptance, all-embracing, supportive, non-judgmental, and deeply loving and caring. So where do we find ourselves in this? In the verse, it says, Under the eyebrows, a pair of cold blue eyes. How can reading scriptures 
reach this piercing of oxide? And this question can be applied to what we see, what we hear, what we think. And for us, the question is, how do we not get caught up by all of it? How do we pierce through oxide? How do we pierce through what arises and vanishes? This poor wayfarer does not dwell in the realms of body when breathing in and does not get involved in myriad circumstances when breathing out. How are you breathing? Is it heavy? Is it light? Do we even pay attention to the way we breathe? Do we take it for granted? Do we understand the power of our breathing in and breathing out? So where are we at with that? Who would like to go first? It's a big question, but the answers are simple. Way more simple than we think. Am I choosing? Mm-hmm. How about Raisan? Good morning, Raisan. Wait uh, to get there. We go. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. Morning. Oh. How poor are you, Raisan? Um, the um, incredible rush of leaves in the trees. That over the past week, it's gone from bare to completely, or at least. Much of the, the leaves are out, um, which seems like a thousand million sutras um, presenting themselves. Um, Is it, yeah, it breathing in? Breathing out. I don't know if there's anything more to say. You said it seems like. Does it seem like? Um, well, I hear them. Uh, they are, right. They are a hundred thousand sutras. There is no better sutra than that. Yeah, there is no better sutra than that. They're pretty loud. Yeah, they're pretty loud. If we're willing to listen, if we're willing to take a break from what we hear in the head, then we can listen, then we can see. If we're willing to not wait. These days it's so amazing. Um, We take a walk first thing in the morning and we can walk through the whole neighborhood and not see anyone, there's no cars. And so it's a very um, privileged way of, um, of moving through space and relating to things like the trees that it, there's the great intimacy, which we usually don't have, which um, opens us up more. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, hear more. Yeah, we have to be poor before it's we amazing. can... Before we can hear that, before we can see that, we have to be poor travelers. We have to shed what we think we need before we can see that everything we need is right there. Thank you. Thank you. Who's next? Okay, Daikyo, good morning. Um, good morning. I guess my microphone was open. Did you open it? I did. Make it uh, easy for you. <laughs> much. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I have like a, some blister and put some cream on it. That's uh, 
That's why I'm starting here. How do you take down? Home. How do you take down the walls? How do you take down the walls? Of, the walls of your house. Go ahead. Which walls? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the poor and how opposite it is with something else that we also talk about, and which is the poverty mind. Uh, and so, how can you be a poor person without having poverty? And how those two meanings kind of inter interact. And uh, you know, um, the poverty mind being being the sensation of lacking uh, that that we we use as a, um, kind of a driving force for most of the things we do, mm -hmm. and what you make us living. You know, and versus kind of being alive. And uh, and in living, we typically are driven by that poverty mind. You know, when where we are kind of lacking something and we striving for that lack. And and, and sometimes we we haven't verified at all what we are lacking. We are uh, we are confident and absolutely certain that we lack this or that. You know, um, certain qualities that we want in ourselves, certain amount of money, certain whatever it is. And we are certain of that. I mean, curiously enough, we're so certain that we seldom verify. We seldom go there and take a look. And, and that is that is what was interesting about this. It's like the poor, um, the poor already knows that he doesn't have, but he doesn't lack. It's like the poor, the poor that we're talking about is, it's, uh, it's not worried about the lack. And, and that is what opens up the whole thing, what demolishes the walls, what lets you see the leaves that Fraser was talking about. Um, because with that, everything is yours. You know, everything that happens is yours. And, and, uh, and that appreciation is absolutely wonderful it's a completely different way of looking at things you know it's a it's a deep appreciation for everything that happens whatever it is um because everything is coming as a rich thing for you you know it's like it's such a richness of things and um so no, i mean I, I was considering that when i was hearing the poor and poor demand and how how we need to how we need to really challenge what we think we lack and and not challenging in an intellectual way because we want we are all go i mean we're always going to find some reason mm -hmm. to justify whatever we lack or the way we think about um it's more about you know like that verification that you know has to do with breathing in and breathing out mm -hmm. breathing in and breathing out can refine that you really don't lack anything. You need your breathing out. And um, so, I don't know, I mean, just sharing that, I guess. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Um, I also want to share something very relevant, which is a uh, happy birthday, thank you. Um, thank you. And uh, um, happy Mother's Day. And I hopefully you guys enjoy the day as I'm, you know, intend to do. Thank you. So the poverty mind, how do we reconcile poverty mind and uh, this kind of being poor, right? And it's interesting because what we are used to consuming does not, actually it lacks uh, the essence, right? It lacks nutritional value in terms of spiritual essence. And, um, and that's why we keep consuming and that's why it never delivers. But one gaze delivers immediately if it's done with the right mind if it's done from poverty mind nothing sat nothing is essentially satisfying right and that's the difference not to realize and i think we have to come to that that conclusion that the way we go about trying to satisfy just does not work it's a bottomless pit that never knows enough so when we stop that and take a look, 
there is the richness. When we take a deep breath, there is the richness. Nothing is lacking, nothing is missing. And actually we are in awe of how intimate it is and how enriching it is. So, thank you. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Joan. Good morning. Hi, everyone. My name is Joan. Um, what uh, is arising in me about being poor today in this nanosecond of a moment on Mother's Day is the idea that um, I would be pushing away the joys and the sorrows. That, to me, feels poor. That, um, for me, today and, and every day, I would like to be able to hold and sit with the range of poorness and deprivation and joys and sorrows on Mother's Day and every day. And that's what this practice continues to give me. And that regardless of whether I'm holding joys or sorrows, to be able to be giving and nurturing and appropriate to the moment. And I am appreciative of the, the talk and everyone's comments so far. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yes, yeah, so to express this uh, maternal aspect of our being is, as you say, to hold it together, to hold it all, to allow for it all. Thank you. Who's next? Jifu. We can't hear you. That's it. Good. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all Happy of us. Mother's Day, yes. I, um, I've been doing a lot of attention to breathing uh, the last three days as I've cared for uh, dying people, four of them. And um, the last thing they do is breathe. And you watch their breathing slow and pick up and slow, depending on their disease process, and we don't know what else. And I've been watching a woman die of lung cancer amongst the others dying. And um, she chose to remove her oxygen. And three days ago when I met her, she just jumped into my heart and I adored her. And I've supported her family to come to terms very quickly with her choice to remove her oxygen and the neurological changes and the breathing changes and all of the changes that have come along with that for them and, and for the patient. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was very compassionate and reminded them not to hold their breath when she held her breath um, because you get very, um, you walk there watching very closely the breathing and they're having their experience of this. And I went home last night and it was hard. I'd had you know, a couple hard days and I realized I was pissed off. Mm. And I was pissed off because she didn't consult me. I liked her and she thought she could just take off her oxygen without consulting me. And all of the breathing and all of the compassion and all of the caregiving I did, um, it was humorous that there was a little ego in me that thought it had anything to do with me at all. Mm. And in that moment of laughter at myself, it sort of all vanished. The, the whole three days and the challenge and all of it, I just... Um, had channeled compassion, and then there was the ego, and there it was in a complete circle. It was it was uh, humorous. It was really great, and the breathing was essential. So, did you breathe through that too? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, it's good to. It's actually good to get in touch with with, as you say, ridiculous, right? It's good to get in touch with that, right? It's good to see that. It's good to see how it functions. 
and to realize that while it functions this way, it doesn't mean we have to go along with that. Doesn't mean we have to give it any meaning. So yeah, breathing the first and last aspects of life, right? Breath is life. Do we appreciate that? Thank you, Chief, and thank you again for all your work. Kyotai uh, raised, so Kyotai, good morning. Can you hear us? Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can see you, but we can hear you. Yeah, well, um, I'm at work, so that's why I don't have my. Okay. Here. Good morning. It's good to um, have you here. <laughs> good to be here. I'm glad I have a minute. Um, it's nice to hear uh, everybody's comments and, and thoughts on all of this. Um, and kind of Amy, or our Jifu has just been going through all of this and everybody, um, it's hard to stay engaged with all the emotions of everything happening, all of the joys and all of the sorrows, um, and really be there for all of those moments. And for somebody like me, I like to structure an organization so I can uh, make that my escape route at times. I just structure my day in a way that makes sense and I make it task-oriented. Um, and then you end up losing some of the richness of the experience that's happening. Um, so it was a really kind of nice reminder for me today in the T-Show uh, to, to stay with those moments and to appreciate all of those moments, even when uh, we don't know the outcomes and we don't know how long it's going to be. And um, it can be really hard sometimes, even when you see difficult, challenging things over and over again, um, there's still a very humanistic aspect to it that's challenging every single time and in a different way. Each um, person that Jitsu helps pass is a different person in a completely different scenario, and it, it um, doesn't ever get easier. You might think that, you know, when we see hard things all the time, it somehow... Uh, vanishes but there there's always that very real deep connection to it um so it, i thank you for that reminder of really embracing everything that's happening through the whole thing so thank you yeah thank you yeah it's uh it does feel uh, a challenge to hold it all because it feels very very quickly it becomes very heavy for us um, and, I, and I think it's because we think we have to carry it on our shoulders, but to to stay with it, to embrace it, doesn't mean to walk around with it. It means to actually allow it to move through us. What, I think what makes it feel heavy is the, the stagnation. When it stops, when we stop breathing, then it feels much heavier. Well, when we breathe through that, it actually moves. Even the pain, even the, the, the difficulties, they move. And if it moves, we're not carrying it. We are moving with it. So it's the way we do it that has to change. And then we can actually open up our hearts further and further. Thank you, Kyotai. Who's next? How about Koge? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard from you for a while. It's good to see you, but I haven't heard from you for a while. I know, hope he doesn't call on me. <laughs> I heard that. I don't know what to say, but anyway, I'm gonna give it a try. Um, it's, you know, this question of um, poverty, the wayfarer being poor. I think it's a beautiful concept for not needing, being free and not needing things. You know, our society is just just so much the opposite of all of that. And we can get so caught up in it. Um, but this time has been interesting. I find that it's amazing how much you don't need, mm. how you can live very simply. Your needs are not great, but our wants are. Yeah. Our desires are, they're infinite, they're just, 
and it, it's just watching that and it, my doc, my food, whatever. It's like I was preparing simple dinner last night, and I'll tell you, it's like it was, you know, lentils and you know, a, a rice and a vegetable, and I was like, it was simple, but it was so delicious. And I kept saying, look at the abundance, this mm -hmm. simple thing, and it was like it was so good. And I'm going, how how much abundance we have here? Because, you know, everyone's running from food and the sisters, you know, are hurting everyone, you know, greedy, going out there and buying things. And it's like, I pick up what I need, what I need. But, and just those things like the root vegetables that last a long time, you don't have to run out and get them and they're there and whenever you need them, a potato and a yam and whatever. It was like, there's, there, there is just so much to be grateful for. I, I find that I, I sit longer, I'm doing deeper breathing, I'm doing special breathings. Uh, and that's been such enhancing my sitting every morning. But uh, so I'm feeling, you know, grateful, grateful, and that I have interests that I have, you know, I'm, I'm blessed in many ways. I really am. And of course, I, I just enjoy being here. I just love the morning service. It's one of the things that just attracted me so much to this. Um, your teachings. Thank you. And the group is a wonderful group. Um, but I'm. Um, have to go because Shinge does give one at 11, so it's a little bit of a right. But, um, I will be calling you so that we can have some time together. I Please do, but I'm busy in a good way. Reach out, okay. yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I just want to thank you and Air and the whole Sangha. Thank you, just thank you, Kogi. Yes, thank you, Kogi. It's great seeing you. Oh. Nice, nice being here. Okay, who's next? We still have some time, a little time. Okay, so I'm going to, where'd you go? Mioho, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> you, you saw that coming. <laughs> you heard that one too? I hope he doesn't call me. <laughs> yeah, watch for what you think, right? Watch your thoughts. Um, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I was, uh, you know, listening. It's just great to listen to everyone. It's really powerful to um, not only see the perspectives around, but just know that it's like somehow there's a little bit of everyone in us, you know? But um, I'm just gonna, I guess, uh, going to the breath and, and listening to the breath and, and you, you mentioned like how, how it changes or how it is, or is it deep or short or, you know, and, and I'm getting exhausted of um, the, the constant change of my breath and um but the exhaustion comes from the resistance to to don't want to change mm. so i can see how i want to say my ego it's been struggling a lot which is good because i'm being put into such an intense week of everything that i create it gets crumbling like so fast or i guess it's so clear because now we're inside and not i don't get distracted that much so it feels like I'm so, I'm like angry, like, you know, Jufa said, I'm, I'm pissed off because, man, I can't create anything because it's going to go away, you know? Yeah. And, and then, it, then it's this resistance, but, but underneath that all, when I sit and, and I continue, you know, but I'm, I'm, I know my ego is being very, very angry and resistance, but yet I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to be here. What else can I do? So I think it, it seems like it, it is a bad thing in terms of how I feel or I've been feeling, especially this week, it's been like hell. But at the same time, I'm so glad I'm going through this hell because I can see that, the, I mean, at one point in our life, we have to really not only talk about it, but understand the reality in terms of the impermanence and how things don't stay the same. 
and I, I guess maybe everyone else, but I personally struggle with, I wish something would stay the same and I don't have to do anything anymore. And that's it, you know, and, and, and no, it, it doesn't, because that's just not, that's not the reality of things, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really interesting because I can talk about reality of things, but right now, especially this week, I've been experiencing not necessarily the reality of things, but my resistance of to to the reality of things. Mm-hmm. And then so the breath has been showing me that, you know, I've been struggling with my mind, with my body. And it's interesting, I, I've been very deficient from vitamin D mm-hmm. that I'm feeling depressed. And I was like, this is not normal. Like it wasn't something like any situation besides what's going on. And then I realized also that how important it is for us to be to, for nature, you know, like the, it was mentioned, the trees and everything else. So it's, it's also understanding that and how how it's important to be present to take care of all that, you know, because I didn't even think of, it, oh, oh, I'm feeling this way because I need a vitamin. You know, it wasn't kind of part of me, but yes, I do. I was very deficient and now. Um, I'm getting worse, so I have to take the supplements and try to go for a walk or try to get some some of it, right? Mm-hmm. But again, just seeing that, seeing how I can't fall asleep because then 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 I'm gonna keep falling on my face every time I wake up, you know. And I'm getting tired of falling on my face, but it's a good getting tired, you know. Yeah. If it makes any sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening. It, this house <laughs> yeah. in this house in this house and many other houses <laughs> yes so. yeah. thank you thank you uh if you remember the sixth patriarch right uh the third patriarch sorry let go of love and hate and everywhere you are with the way so you know and 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 we need to clarify that it doesn't mean to be numb. It actually means the opposite, to let go of holding on or pushing away. And everything is nothing but a manifestation of love. But we do have to let go. We do have to arrive at that uh, poverty, which is not poverty mind, but we have to just shed. We have to drop away. And then what remains is just love. But it's a different kind. It's not the kind. It's not the grasping kind. It's the all-embracing kind, and it includes all of it, especially the mess, <laughs> which we would like to delete. So thank you. All right, we have time maybe for a couple more. Who's next? Michelle. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, everyone. Um, What I find most interesting about the breath is it's one of our bodily functions that we can control, but also operates without us thinking about it. Mm. And for me, when when I am starting to feel confused or stressed or angry, or excited because of practice and before I can intellectually link what's happening, I notice my breath and how it changes. And so that has allowed me to ground myself in in different kinds of ways to pay attention. Um, I also think of us as different worlds. We're all connected. But the way that we interact with each other on a basic level is through words. And when I have a different definition of a word to another person and it causes conflict or it causes confusion or it may cause other kinds of emotions, also that's where I can notice like my breath changing. Mm -hmm. So that was just an observation based on the conversation that, well, the the Taisho and then listening to things that people had to say today. But it's definitely something that I plan on paying attention to because it's allowed me to, I think, pause before I follow through Mm. with um, any form of action that would feel natural to come out next. Mm 
just being aware of how my breath has changed and what it was that caused it to change and then how I can then respond. Um, not necessarily properly, but just gauge what my response mm-hmm. would be next. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and it works both ways, right? So the breath can become choppy or shallow because of the way we react to what's going on. But if we change the way we breathe, it can also change the way we interact with what's happening. It's not one directional. And it is a good indicator, right? You know, when we, if we are in touch with the way we breathe, we can actually know where we're at. And then keep working on it. So, yeah. So in breathing in, we can lose ourselves, right? And breathing out, we can lose our attachment to what happens. So breathing in, you lose that which grasps. Breathing out, inevitably, you lose what you grab, what you grasp onto. It's magic. Breath is magic. How many hours a day we take it for granted? Or how many hours a day do we, how many seconds a day do we actually appreciate that? Ari raised the hand. Ari? Yeah. Good morning. Morning, everybody. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you all for sharing this practice today. Mm. Uh, years ago, I used to. Uh, fast or cleanse and I would have to ride through you know um, I call call them the cookie monster you know just the the really intense cravings I want a fucking cookie you know that intense and um, it was a good practice for me um to really pay attention to my relationship with food and then eat very intentionally. Um, and there were peripheral um, benefits also. Uh, and ultimately, I had the awareness that, you know, the less I need or think I need, uh, the more I have to give. And, and that, that's been a beautiful gift in my life. And the, so to, in today's practice, just to bring it as present as possible, um, and this has been happening for a while, um, you know, my, the little me stops breathing and I sort of become the breath. And that would happen, um, and, and, that, and I feel more connected, but I, I, that would happen, I would still be doing, uh, using Kachari Mudra. And recently, um, in my practice, I noticed when, my tongue would begin to loosen, I would begin to expand and then uh, contract really quick. Because that that was sort of scary. Um, And then something happened. I I just let go. I let go of that mudra and all at once felt completely expanded and connected, uh, which is without those definitions. But, you know, that's been some practice as well. Um, We we talked about the senses um, a couple of weeks ago. So I've been, you know, practicing, you know, using 
that aspect of consciousness, or not using it, just allowing it to be, and noticing the difference between when uh, I'm, you know, uh, when I'm heightened and all of a sudden listening, um, as opposed to just hearing. Um, so I was working with that today, and then uh, with the bodily sensation, um, sensations of pain. I have a lot of nerve stuff from uh, stenosis. And so, you know, I get very intense uh, bodily experiences. Um, but today I just allowed myself to be present with it without quantifying it in any way, allowing myself to experience the sensation for the first time. And that was, um, really incredible so thank you for helping Louie my practice thank you thank you Ari okay so we are going to uh, wrap it up with that and um, yeah happy Mother's Day to everybody to all of us and uh, we, we do need to turn or to find that energy in us, the, the maternal energy in us. And uh, so find it, get in touch with it intimately and allow it to flow out, allow it to embrace what we go through, our own experiences, and also to embrace what the world is going through right now. To allow for that and to, to give it that kind of energy. Right? It's an energy that we all need. We all... Uh, it can sustain us all. So please connect with that and share that energy. Thank you. <laughs>